1: And welcome to Midpoint. Now, my guest today is a former footballer. As you know, I don't litter Midpoint with lots of sporting stars, even though that's the world I work in most of the time. But Philip Neville, today's guest, is someone I think you're going to really enjoy He was a Manchester United and Everton defender, won countless trophies in his incredible career, including six Premier Leagues and a Champions League, played for England 59 times as well. And he belongs to that very successful sporting family. Gary, his brother you'll know of, and Tracy, his twin sister, of course, who coached England to Commonwealth Games success in 2018. Well, Philip started doing a bit of punditry after he finished playing, which is where I got to know him a little bit better. And then he took over the Lionesses and led them to a World Cup semi-final in 2019. But he left that to take over as head coach at Miami which is the club owned by one of his best mates and of course uh, one of the class of 92 David Beckham. And I was really interested to speak to Philip because I know he's such a homeboy about the move to the USA. He loves where he comes from. He loves being in the north. So how has he taken to life across the pond and is it something that he considers to be a long-term move? That was definitely going to be a big part of our conversation as it proved to be, but so many other surprising things came up as well. In particular, what he's learned about women since he took over the Lionesses and how he feels a bit guilty, I think, about not really acknowledging his sister Tracy's career when she was younger. Our expert today is Noor Hibbert. She is a manifestation guru, business coach and life coach. And as always, I am so grateful to Solgar for sponsoring. And I'm really proud of them as well. They have been working with a carbon neutral company since 2000, over 20 years, achieving full carbon neutral status in 2010. And they've invested in a variety of projects, from the planting of native trees in long-term natural woodland to the installation of solar panels for communities around the world, showing that they are the gold standard in everything that they do. Well done, Solgar. Okay. Let's go chat to Philip. Hi. How are
2: you? How are you doing? Long time no see. Um,
1: yeah, oh, you've got a strange accent now. Long time <laughs> no see. <It's... laughs>
2: I say uh, some you really American <laughs> words as well, you know, so don't pull me up on that.
1: Okay, what are they? What are they? What's your what's crept into your uh, vernacular? Soccer.
2: Soccer's a big one. Oh. Yeah. You say soccer. Yeah. Beautiful.
1: You'd have crucified somebody for saying something. I <laughs>
2: know. Uh, instead of fullbacks now, we say outside backs. So that, that's a funny one.
1: See, you've already lost my audience. This is called the midpoint, right? So, <laughs> new... <laughs> so how long have you been in Miami since? When's the last time you came home?
2: Oh, I've not been home since January. My mum arrives today. For... I've not seen my mum since January, so my mum arrives no today. Way. So, um... oh, and
1: you're doing this?
2: Yeah. Well, she lands at three o'clock, oh. so. Uh... Uh, I've got to say, I can't, I can't wait to see her. It's been ages and, and I can't go home now until I get my green card. I'm in the green card process and my visa runs out in January, oh. so I can't go home because they'll not let me out and be back in the country. So uh, I can't oh. come home. I've not seen any of my family oh. for ages. You've
1: not seen your twin sister?
2: Tracy. Not seen my twin sister, not seen uh, baby Nev, Her which is my baby. sister's little boy. Okay. So no, FaceTime and Zoom has been, uh, has been the only way that we've seen each other. But I think they're going to come out in January. My brother's going to come out and see me as well in January, so...
1: I suppose we should start there because going and living in a foreign country yeah. and taking on a challenge like this at 44 years old, you know, that's a classic midlife kind of big change, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? I mean, I know it's football or soccer, so you know the industry you're working yeah. in, but how much of a kind of mental kind of wrestle was it between you and yourself and you and Julie about whether or not to do this to your family? Well, the,
2: the, the biggest wrestle we had was when I moved to Spain five years ago because we'd never moved. Both me and my, my wife, Julie, was from Barry. We've never moved away from our parents. Our parents were always 10 minutes away, Manchester was our home. And we, we we took the plunge and went to Spain and that changed our outlook. We lived in Spain for three years and, and we, we just totally fell in love with living in a foreign country. The challenges that come with that because there are many, many obstacles and challenges. So this move was actually a little bit easier. I suppose the hard bit was in January when I came out here, my wife uh, and two children weren't gonna come with me. They were just gonna come at school holidays. Harvey was at United and then, about a month into coming out here, into Miami, asked if Harvey would sign for the club. Nothing to do with me. They wanted him for the under-23 team. And we left it up to him. He made the decision. And then within two months, my wife and family, were, we were back together. And, and I suppose that three-month period was the toughest of my life. I, I, mm. I've never lived without my wife. I've never lived without my family. I'd, I'd missed my children so much. and And that was the toughest period because America is not like any other country, it's so big, it's so vast. Everybody just lives such a fast-paced life that it was really difficult the first couple of months. But once they came, my life was complete again.
1: So they're loving it now, are they?
2: They love it. Harvey's obviously uh, working his way up in the club. My, my, My wife just gets on and cracks on with life wherever she is and my daughter's in school going through the college process, which is, it's, which is phenomenal out phenomenal. So here. she
1: might go to university in
2: America She wants to go, go to university. It, it breaks my heart. Every time we have these college debates, when we're going to school, she's on about living in, in Columbus or, or L.A., and I'm thinking, my, my little girl can't go to L.A., it's, that's five <laughs> hours away, that's a different time zone, and it's a four-year commitment. But she's so driven, and mm. we want her to fulfil her dreams. So it's, it's yeah. opened up a, a great new world for everybody in the family.
1: Can you see yourself, if she goes to university then, I mean, depending, obviously football's a precarious job, we know that, but yeah. can you see yourself staying in America longer beyond the job maybe one day because of her
2: being Yeah, there? I mean, we are so close that I can't see myself living in England and, and, and my little princess living in LA. I just can't see it, I can't picture it. Uh, I think she wants me in England and her in LA. But, but I, it's just, I just can't see how we, we would manage yeah. without each other you know so that that's a big challenge for me as a father to to let go because uh, I'm not good at that
1: i think that that though that letting go is one of the midlife kind of um issues that hasn't come up loads actually no. on the podcast because we talk about so many different things but i think the empty nest thing yeah is something that a lot of people listening will be thinking about, seeing coming down the track. You know, so whether you're living in Bury mm. or you're living in, uh, sorry, Bury, or you're Bury. living in, uh, yeah, D- don't, don't say it
2: the posh way, please. <laughs> <laughs>
1: if you're living in Bury, or whether you're living in London, whether you're living in LA. You know, the idea of your kids moving on is, and it starts to get closer and closer. You kind of have to take a deep breath, don't you? Because you just know it's it's inevitable. It's, it's not going to, you know. I think about change. it every day.
2: But, and 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 I don't know what uh, Kenny's like uh, with with your children, but my, my boy Harvey, I, 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 we're living in Fort Lauderdale at this moment in time. I want him to go and get his own apartment. I want him to, I want I want to I want to I want him to free him up. I want him to go and enjoy his life. But with my daughter, I don't want her to leave the house at any at any point. I don't want her to go to university. I want her to. Is
1: that not sexist, Phil?
2: No, but it's, I mean, it, this, it's a is, protec- this is the former England women's. It's manager. a protection thing <laughs> that I have for. I want my boy to to go and enjoy his life, but there's that protection of my little little baby. She's my little girl. She's my biggest weakness in my whole life. And I just feel, I think about it she's every day. She's your kryptonite. She is my weakness. She <laughs> definitely is, and I don't. I, I think it's dads and the daughters have a yeah. have a relationship that's like no other. And and I suppose my wife will be thinking the same about Harvey. She doesn't want him to move out, and uh, so every day I think about every time I drop her off at school. I think and in another year's time she might not be here. Another year's time she'll be in L.A. or Columbus or wherever she wants to go. And she, and she's that she's that sort of like she says driven. I say stubborn that she, I'm saying, I wonder where
1: she gets out yeah,
2: from. Yeah, I'm saying, you know, there's a really good university in Miami, you know, I can still take it to you. And she says, I'm going to, I'm going to Milan, Paris, New York, as yeah, far away I'm from I'm not New- letting you drop me <laughs> off <in> at <laughs> university. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so I'm wrestling with, with it every day. And I think, I'm actually really excited about the empty nest bit, but I'm just not sure, Julius. (laughs) We don't have the same connection that way. You know, for the last 20 years, our lives have been our children. I'm I'm sure you're you're at that stage now with your children.
1: Yeah. On the one hand, though, I see, I see that some positives, you know, you see some kind of free, a little bit of freedom that you, your day doesn't revolve completely around those school times and all of that kind of thing that you still even now, even though my kids school day so long, I still think of like, three o'clock as being some kind of emergency panic time, even though they don't get home till six. But it's all those things that dictate your life that I'm quite excited about. But in terms of them, I just when you're starting to really enjoy their company. Yeah. <laughs> because you go through those little tricky teenage years where they don't really think you're very cool and they don't really <laughs> like you and <laughs> and it feels like you're just getting through that and then they're gonna go, no, you know. So it's um
2: I'm it, looking forward to the empty nest. I, you know, I, I want my wife back a little bit, you know. I mean the school pickup times, the meal times. Yeah.
1: That's good that you still want, you know, with all seriousness, you still want to be with Julie because a lot of people hit that period and they go, "Oh God, I've got to spend time with that person yeah. again now," you know. So, so that's lovely. That does she feel the same? <laughs>
2: <laughs> We've not had that conversation yet, but, but maybe, uh, yeah, I, I hope she does. Well, I hope she does. But, but yeah, but, because sure I think does. I think just before we had children, we, we were, like, 21, 22, so there were so many things that we wanted to do. We wanted to travel, we wanted to go to places. Mm. There's so many places in America... That I want to explore, that she wants to explore, that that maybe mm. our children can come with us, maybe they don't, but we can we can just maybe yeah. rewind back. They can
1: dip in and out. Yeah, of your lives. yeah, and yeah. and
2: they'll always be part of our lives. But ultimately, mm. the, the, me and my wife were, were inseparable, and uh, and the. Some... But they're gonna have
1: their own lives, you know. And if she's gonna go to university in America, I hate to tell you, she might meet her life partner. No.
2: She's not going to university and then- she's never meeting anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but yeah, and, and that and that's where that's where I've just gotta accept. And and every dad yeah, probably goes through this. <laughs>
1: My worst nightmare is that one of my kids marries a Kiwi, you know, and they go live in the South <laughs> Island of New Zealand.
2: And like, Mine is marrying good. a Liverpool fan. That's that's my that's my <laughs> biggest problem. Do not marry a Liverpool rather, fan. A Liverpool Man City rather, fan, <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening.
1: I can't cope with that. I can cope with you living in Dunedin. I can't cope with you going out with a Liverpool fan. So the family's good. It sounds like everybody's thriving yeah. out there and really enjoying it. And you have always been, and we talk a lot about, kind of keeping ourselves fit and healthy in this podcast and you are kind of on the younger side of midlife you're 44 so yeah. your fitness has always been really important to you yeah. you're as probably as fit as you ever have been in terms of your non-playing days yeah. would you say
2: fitter probably fitter in terms yeah. of oh. strength and everything and I, I think the four of us the four of us now we, we, we have a routine that is fitness and and exercise and health is is probably 60, 70% of our lives, the, the way that we eat, the way that we uh, we look after ourselves is a big thing. Julie's a qualified nutritionist. She, she's, she's into healthy living. And I think I think since Isabella was born and, and the troubles that we went through with Julie's health in particular and, and Isabella's health is that we, we became really hypersensitive to the way that we lived our lives. And then Isabella's program in life is, for Isabella to have a good life she needs to live a certain way. She needs to exercise, she needs to do a strength, she needs to do a stretching, she needs to mm-hmm. she needs to Just
1: explain people that don't know um the condition. Yeah, she
2: has cerebral hands. palsy and when she was born people said that she was never going to walk. She she now she walks. She has a fantastic able-bodied life. Uh she dances, doesn't she? Dances. She, she she does everything, but for that she has to work really hard at that and and so we made exercise part of our Family routine, like watching the television, or or whatever mm. families do. So, because at the start she was really she was really against any a, a, anything like that, because she saw that she re, she was resistant because, the, and she
1: probably felt she wasn't good enough.
2: Yeah, she wasn't good enough. She couldn't do the exercises. She wasn't fit enough to to jump, to stretch, uh, to do the yoga, to do the Pilates, to do the dance, and and she had to overcome that stigma of maybe not looking quite perfect at doing her exercises in the gym maybe not quite doing the exercises like me or Julie would do or Harvey would do or going to to it to a gym and and she 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 went through a stigma of not being able to work out in front in front of people running on the streets was a big thing for her because she 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 doesn't run like me or you run so she thought that people would stigmatize her for the way that she'd run or criticize her and so she's mm-hmm. had to overcome those boundaries and it we just became part of our everyday life so Mm. so now I train for myself and for my own self health healthness but really Mm. as an example to to Isabella and Harvey that actually to get where you want in life you've got to be healthy you've got to be fit you've got to keep your body because my father died of a heart attack my grandpa died of a uh, heart problems, so we see health as a main bit of Mm. our life really
1: do you find it easier to be healthy in that climate in Miami yeah
2: well when you're living outside I mean Mm. it's 26 degrees today you know, I woke mm. up at five this morning and me and Julie went for a swim. That you know, that the, the sun was just rising, it was it was twenty twenty one degrees outside, we come back inside mm. and you know, what we learnt in Spain, more than any other country, more than any other experience, was that an outdoor life makes you far more far more sensitive to the way that you look because of the clothes you wear, because of, you
1: know. <laughs> so it's, a, so it's a, a vanity thing. Well,
2: no, <laughs> I'd say that living abroad, a lot of people do, you want to look well, you want to dress well, you want to you wanna yeah. live your life outside. Living your life outside is, and the way- I thought you were going to say for your mental health. Mental health, yeah. Well, for me, for me my job, the only, my biggest hobby, my only switch off is when I go for a run, when I go to the gym, when I do my yoga. It's the only switch off I have because I've got my job and my family. So, so the, 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 the mental side of it is the only time I switch off, I train in the morning, first thing, five, six o'clock. And then after training, if I'm, if I'm ever sort of like stressed or I've got something important to deliver to the team the next day, I'll, I'll go for a 10, 10 mile run or a 10K run and just think about my speech, my delivery, the way I deal with people, big decisions I have to make, and I do all my best thinking on the treadmill or out running
1: which is um, a great way of kind of using that time actually isn't it and then you stop thinking about the pain that you might be going through because you're actually <laughs> using your mind to kind of get you get you through it because um, you do put in some pretty impressive times i have to say if they are real i mean you post them all the time on no, no, you obviously just, want just wait, to wait tell that. You i mean brilliant. are
2: you questioning are you questioning <laughs> my are you questioning my character now by saying are they real i mean i, I did post the time once on uh, Stra- the this strava app that I went for a 1K run and I did it in, in I think, 3.20. But it was downhill, but it was the right time. But I didn't put that it was (laughs) was down a hill that was a gradient (laughs) of about 10, so... Oh, I got brilliant and
1: so Strava, Strava came back to you and said we're not sure we can keep you on this account anymore yeah <laughs>
2: yeah well it, it was during the pandemic when all the lionesses we put all the lionesses on uh, and we were having 1k run time trial runs and we, we, it, it became a leaderboard and I was at the top after the first week and it caused so much chaos within the group because there was obviously better runners and quicker runners than me and then and then it got found out that I was running downhill a lot of the time. <laughs> and then Steph overtook me. Jill Scott overtook just... me. Lucy, Lucy Bronze then overtook me. Yeah, of course me, I you know? did. Yeah.
1: And that, do you know what? I'm pleased they did because it would have been, I think, uh, wrong for you to have retained that mantle. <laughs> now you, I think you learned a lot about women doing that job. I, I spent quite a bit of time kind of working with you around yeah. that time, and you seemed to you seemed to enjoy learning more about women
2: as well it 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 changed my outlook on life i i I learned so much and 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 what what i then started to realize was a lot of what my sister went through i i I was having flashbacks all the time in, in terms of the challenges and obstacles that tracy went through that i didn't appreciate at the time i was part of that probably brigade probably 20 years ago when tracy was just beginning to break through at 15 16 to the england netball team was a Oh, just get on with it. you are got to get up at three o'clock to go down to Sussex to train just for an hour Oh, just get on with it. And I didn't appreciate at the time what what the obstacles were. And then in my first Lioness tour to America, Abby McManus and Georgia Stanway stood up because it was their first camp. And, 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 and instead of singing a song as an initiation, we had an initiation where they told us a little bit about their backstory, about their challenges and literally we nearly broke down in tears listening to Abby McManus and Georgia Stanway. Georgia Stanway driving from Barrow to Blackburn just for a training session. And then every sort of like camp and every connection I had with the Lionesses, I just became awestruck by Their abilities to do something they either love for nothing for not the same rewards and and became really angry and frustrated by the obstacles that then started to come in front of me in my job Mm. the travel the hotels the the lack Mm. of support the lack of financial support for the players the lack of visibility that we were we had for things that we were doing for the england national team and every day was a challenge every day there was an obstacle every day and then until you've lived in the shoes of a female, of a woman in sport, mm. you don't appreciate it. And that's what I learned. Mm. And I also learned that they were the most incredible, incredible human beings I've ever worked with. And I'm, I'm working with some brilliant world-class footballers that have won World Cups here, and they are nothing compared to the girls that I work with with the line asses. Nothing. Attitude, commitment, desire, determination, ability to Did learn. Did it make
1: you also look at women in the wider... I mean, that's women in sport. Yeah. And did it make you then look at the wider landscape and for women and think about your own daughter and the challenges she might come up against?
2: Yeah, it did. And it also made me look at the racism as well because I'd say that there's massive, massive similarities with obstacles and boundaries and, and stigmatisation. Mm-hmm. And then I, I I started to look at the LGBT community and think about... So I started looking at wider issues and thinking, well every type of every type of minorities, p- minorities and, in the world. Well
1: not even minorities actually. No. There's, in some places, you know, we're talking about people who are in, in the majority, yeah, but it, because
2: of and, and, historical reasons. And and that's what I learned. Until you're in the shoes of people that are being racist. Because we had we had sexism, we had homophobia within the women's games that we suffered all the time mm. in games on social media. My players were suffering all that. And uh, mm. it was a great learning curve and, and I've got the absolute utmost respect for females in general now
1: and at the right almost at the right stage of your life probably to be able to kind of open your mind to things you know yeah. because you know you might as a younger man might not perhaps have, have kind of been ready to learn those lessons and see those things no
2: I was ignorant I was totally ignorant and and I had somebody living in my house who who's who's my sister who's my twin sister who I was ignorant to you know and and that for me is probably one of the biggest. Failings I've had as a brother is that I was ignorant to a lot of the things that she was going through.
1: Did uh, you did you have a conversation about that and kind of not apologise, but kind of say say to her, I just really didn't no, handle that. No, very well. not, n- really? not
2: really, because my. It's not the way we work as a family, I don't think. We, we, we literally just get on get on with it. But I'd say that I've got a lot more respect. Tracy was always the king of our castle. She was always the... the <laughs> yeah, she was always just the special one in our house. If, if I ever want anything from Gary, I go to Tracy first to go to Gary because she didn't just get anything off. <laughs> He'll do anything. He'll do anything. anything. He'll do anything. And, uh, but, but now I look back at some of the... You know, she had a career-threatening injury that finished her career... And I look back and think, what support did I give her? Yeah, yeah, I might have mm-hmm. supported her in terms of financial support, but that's probably what, not, not what she needed. She needed probably support from, uh, you know, the mental side at the time, but I probably was too selfish to understand actually what she was going, going through.
1: You've got to a stage now where you seem like you're at peace with lots of things that have kind of gone on in your career and mm. your life, and you're doing this job in a great climate in a you know you know fun place. Miami's a fun city. Yeah. It's an interesting project. Obviously, David Beckham, your your old teammate and friend, is is he your boss or is he is he? Do you call him Gaffer? I mean, my, line and, my line manager. He's <laughs> my
2: <it's your> line <laughs> manager. Like,
1: so if there's any problems with HR, you have to go to him yeah. first. So you know, so you've got somebody that you're very close to who's involved as well. Do you care that kind of you're away from the kind of throng of you know, the Premier League and the cut and thrust of European football. Have you kind of come... Do, does that bother you at all?
2: No, it doesn't Is bother it... me at all. Uh I watch the games on a Saturday and a Sunday. I, I do miss the atmospheres, the intensity. But I, I look what's going on in the Premier League at this moment in time. And it, it, I've got to say, from a manager's point of view, it doesn't look that enjoyable from the outside looking in. Out. I look what it's just done to my friend Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, and... You, you, you lose a game and and it's not just you're under pressure, you're under the most excruciating pressure. The expectation is beyond probably the realism of what you can actually do in the job. There are, there are narratives now around punditry, around social media that, that actually probably mm. makes football managing in the Premier League almost impossible unless you are right at the very top in terms of Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp but apart from it just doesn't look enjoyable from the outside i've got a lot of friends on the inside and they tell me that it's not enjoyable they tell me that it's brutal and yeah i suppose the brutality of it is, is where probably eventually you want to get to but there's there's got to be more to life than that and i and i'm i'm in an environment in in america and i, I had the environment in spain where you could almost enjoy the job as well as the pressure and expectation that goes with it. I've got incredible pressure mm. and expectation in this club, football club, but along the way, there is there is an enjoyment that to my job. At the moment, the Premier League looks looks mm. a place where you physically can't enjoy it, whether you're a player or a manager.
1: Mm. Do you think it was always like that though, or do you think in your day as it, a
2: player, it, it, actually, it wasn't like that in my day? Uh, mm. Yes, there was pressure and expectation, but but there was not there was not. The thing surrounding football now is, is just out of control. I've got to say, it's it's beyond inhumane. Some of the abuse, and it's not the same in
1: in America. Do you, is it? Do the no, players get, no, um, it's
2: not. It's not the same in yeah. in in soccer. It's in, it, it's, in soccer. Yeah, <laughs> in in the NFL, in basketball, I think it's on a, a different scale, similar to probably the Premier League. But but football here is still growing. Now we're getting bigger, but nowhere near the level of scrutiny. I, I've I've lost a couple of games this year quite heavily and walked into a press conference and expected real, real grilling. And tough questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. tough questions and, and never really got that. Never really got that to the level where every question a manager has in the Premier League is about his job, whether he's under pressure, whether he's going to survive, whether a player likes him or dislikes mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. It's not yet that level in, in soccer in, uh, in America. When you're a footballer,
1: you know the pathway to your success, what you have to do when you've yeah. got a talent. And you know, if you work really hard, the next level for me is, you know, playing for Manchester United. Then after that, I want to play for England. Then after that, you know, when you're a manager, you've got so many more moving parts, <laughs> yeah. right? And you can't control lots no. of those. How do you come to terms with that, you know, when, when that transition happens, have you got to a stage now where, you know, you, I, I can't do anything about the fact that these players might go out next Saturday yeah. and totally screw up the plan that I've given
2: them? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if, if uh, you know me well. I, I'm, I'm like an itinerary. My life from, from sort of like as a footballer was an itinerary. I'd get up in the morning at a certain time, I'd have rice crispers for breakfast, I'd go into train, I'd go <laughs> the same route. And then when you come out of football or come out of playing... You, you can wake up one day and be on the plane to Valencia. You can wake up the next day, you can be on the plane to America. You've just got to be so adaptable in your job, in your life to any kind of problem. I've had situations this year in my, in my working life where my staff haven't had their families with him. People from Argentina have not been able to come into America. So I've had to deal with homesickness. I've had to deal with cancer in one of my staff's family. And, and this, this, when you go on the coaching courses and you get your license, you cannot prepare yourself for that, and uh, management is 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 literally a roller coaster. Where every day is different. Every minute of every day is totally different than the day before. You think that the water's calm and you're going in the right direction, and then something will just just take you in another direction. A result, mm. a player's attitude. Something happens in your team, an injury, a crucial injury, that can just derail you at any moment. And and part of management is preparing every scenario, is being ahead of the game all the time. So when people say you've got to be obsessed or you've got to be 24-7, that is what management's all about. And if that makes them focus better on a Saturday, then that's what you have to do. And tactics is a small part of my job. Tactics is a small part of my job. (laughs) And dealing with people's life problems is probably the biggest 99% of my job and and that's something that I really enjoy but it can throw things at you that that can even throw yourself.
1: Well I'm not sure that my expert today is going to completely help you with that bit but I think you will like her so let's bring her on now Noor Hibbert who is well her official title I think is she's a manifest guru she helps you manifest Things okay. That you that you need in your life. So hopefully we can stop uh, recording. Has Julie put use, you up
2: uh, to this? Am in trouble <laughs> here?
1: <laughs> Noor Hibbert has joined us. Uh, good afternoon, Noor. Oh hello. Hello. I just explained to Philip. Nor, meet Philip Neville. Noor hello. Uh, you you are a a manifestation guru. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't know uh, about guru. But yeah. and, <laughs> uh, what a uh, word. Well, you. I think you started out in you as a business and life coach, and now you're obviously a published. Author and have a very big following on social media. Explain what a manifestation expert is then for us.
3: I have worked with people with their mindset for so long, but I always felt that there was something else out there that was bigger than just positive mindset. And I wanted to... I wanted to kind of bring it to the mainstream, to people that perhaps hadn't really heard about it and wanted to learn about it in the most
1: layman terms and be able to actually apply it. So how do you teach people to have a better or a more positive mindset? Because it's, as the mother of teenagers, you know, when I'm trying to kind of explain to them about how their mindset's not helping them, I clearly oh. am doing an absolutely rubbish job because they <laughs> look at me like I'm speaking Spanish. So so what? how do you get that message over?
3: Do you know what? As, as a mother to three and three quarters, oh, I completely understand that this concept of mindset is, it's quite out there for children because it's not something that we get taught at school, really. I think the first point that I try to make to everybody is that everything that we do in our life is a product of the thoughts that we have. So everything that we see in our physical world, all of the external that we see out here are all a result of what's going on up here and that's something that i had to learn you know when i was sort of you know in my early 20s when i was really struggling with my own mental health and not feeling like i had any control over it so starting to understand that the thoughts that we have in here that's the beginning of everything out there so looking at your life and saying to yourself what am i not happy with And then reverse engineering it back to the thoughts that we actually have about that thing to start off with and then that's usually a great place then to start to realize okay there's a bit of a path here Mm -hmm. from that negative thought to where i am right now so let me try and flip that so it's just awareness is the number one place that i start with all of my clients with my children what's happening up here what is that thought that you're thinking and getting them to see that there's a link between mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that internal narrative and the physical you know, manifestation of it.
1: Do you recognize this, Philip? It strikes me that you're somebody that does manifest already, whether you're aware of it or not.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think in football, when you talk about high pressure, we always have to look at reasons why. It's, there's always a why to their thought process. There's always a why to their mindset. And, and the mindset of the whole club because until you you train the mind to think a certain way, you're not going to get the results that you want on the pitch. Mm.
1: And sport, I guess, Noor, is an area where you can see the outcomes very quickly, you know, if you manage to change mindset. But you're not just dealing... I was going to say, in business, you you see that, because you work a lot with business people, don't you? Absolutely,
3: yeah. That's, you know, I work with, I have worked with, you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of business owners in getting them to understand that that core foundation to successful business is what's going on up here and Mm. you can give 10 people exactly the same strategy and say do this a b c d e go google the set but you know a very small percentage of them and especially women because that's where most unfortunately businesses fail and with females it's always down to, to their mindset when we can understand that and when we can in the same way in sport change that not just at this level but on an emotional level and they get to see that the changes are unreal and so yeah i'm a big big believer of uh, you know mindset when it comes to for all areas of life really
1: a lot of people, This obviously this podcast, a lot of our audience are in the midlife and they might want to make changes that habits, because that, habits really mm. set in, don't they? And, you know, kind of people find it very hard to change their behaviours when they've been doing something, even if they know it's negative for a long, long time. Mm. And I guess they're the people that it might be the most difficult to show them that there is a possibility of changing your behaviour, you know, and you don't have to settle for something.
3: No, absolutely. I think this is the biggest problem is, and I say this to a lot of people that come to work with me in their 40s and their 50s, they say, oh, that's it. Like, oh, there's no chance for me. I am who I am. I can't change it. And, I'm, and I say to them, well, with that attitude to start off with, you won't change anything. But then I explain to them, well, there's a whole new area of science called neuroplasticity, which shows us that we can actually change our brains. Through repetition is how we learn as children. And through repetition, we can unlearn what we do as adults. And when we mm. say to people, well, you can change that. It comes from awareness. It comes from understanding why you are the way that you are, the conditioning that led you to be the person you are, and then looking at ways to then change that. It doesn't happen overnight. But... You start to put those building blocks, start to change those the words that you use around everything you do. I have a chapter called Your Word is Your Wand in my first book because mm. just those words are so powerful. Mm. You say to yourself, I'm never going to change, I'm never going to win, I'm never going to have success. You are creating your future because that's what your brain is then just confirming mm-hmm. and confirming. So it's almost like these simple things, but yet as humans, we don't want simple. It can't be that simple just to think about the <laughs> word. But it really is when we start to do that. But it takes discipline and it takes commitment to change what goes on up here, mm. especially after decades of being the person that you have been.
1: Yeah, and, and the, the older you get, the harder it is to change anything, isn't it? Because yeah. you, you get so comfortable yeah. with it. You get comfortable with your misery or your disappointment <laughs> oh, or your you know yeah. inevitability that life's going to treat you badly. So, so Noor, we can't keep you on much longer, exactly. but tell me uh, your, your latest book that people be, I'm sure, sitting in now thinking, I want to know more, I want to be better at manifesting. So what's the book called?
3: It's called You Own only live once, and it's out. Obviously, you can get it, you know, on all the normal channels that you can buy books from.
1: I'm sure that right now, as we speak, Philip is Googling his uh, his account to get himself a copy and yes, take, yeah. he must,
3: Philip. take oh, yeah. his percentage <laughs> win
1: buy, rate yeah, as Anna. a manager up <laughs> even further. Uh, Noel, thank you so thank, much for your time you. today. Really great so well to meet you. Take, take care. care. Bye. I thought you'd like Nora and her, her philosophy because you are one of the most positive people, I think, that I work... Well, I have. I don't work with you anymore, sadly, but um, <laughs> that I have worked with. You've always had really good energy when you come... I mean, obviously, you know, you're a bit cheeky and not always, uh, not always on message, shall we say. but um, <laughs> but, you, but you are a positive person, I would say, generally.
2: Yeah, well, I think I'm reading a book at the moment on emotional intelligence... Because that's the one thing that I learned so much with the lionesses was the emotional, emotional intelligence side. Is understanding people. Understanding people Mm. is is a massive part of management nowadays. I think the days, you know, when when you when your dad was a manager, I say you do. You know, this is one way Mm. is the best way. That's gone. There is Mm -hmm. there is a a total line now where it's almost like a, a negotiation. All day long and understanding people, what makes them tick. Twenty-four players are different. Everyone is different. Everyone has different likes and dislikes and and challenges. So, I, I was brought up in a house where we weren't allowed to to mope around, to sulk, uh, to be sad. That was the one thing I'd say that my mum and dad hated more than anything. If we lost a game, we just had to focus on the next game. If we if we fell on the floor and scratched down, we need get up and get on with it. And we just weren't allowed. To, to be sulkers at all, and it's the one thing... But do
1: you think there's a, there's a middle ground, though, that actually that's great, but you do need to understand that life isn't always... You know, you have to kind of be able to have moods, don't you?
2: Well, I, th- I think that's where... And I'd say that Sir Alex was was probably in that mould as well of Mm, just mm. get on with it, win the next game, win Mm. the next session. But I I think with what I learnt with my mum and dad was that you could go and open up and and explain, because sometimes not everything's perfect. You've got to open up with your insecurities, your fears, you're scared, you need help, you've done something bad. Where where, where my dad was just like, plough on, plough on as fast as you can, and and he was fast-paced. Gary is the most fast-paced person. My character is fast paced, my character is positive. And sometimes I, I, I work with people that get really annoyed with my positivity. They hate it. They can't be they can't stand me. They can't stand me in the morning when I get up at six o'clock and I come into work and I'm bouncing. They they like me at eleven o'clock but not at six o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock. So and that really gets on their nerves and I can't understand that. So I've tried to understand. So sometimes you do have to slow down. So sometimes you do have to sort of like reflect. And and a mm. lot of your a lot of your tendencies as you get to sort of like forty four are influences from when you was young, your parents, your teachers, mm. your your managers. Uh, and and to change takes a lot. I've tried to change or tried to adapt. Why they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like like there was there was a manager that I worked for that wouldn't sit next to me at breakfast in the morning, but at, at twelve o'clock <laughs> he he loved me <laughs> because he just didn't like my energy at eight o'clock. It was too much for him, you know.
1: Yeah, but I think that's more a reflection of them than you, isn't it? I that's think what you I thought. Have to change yourself. That's what I thought. But but maybe you need to understand other people. It's probably that
2: yeah, rather than yeah, you change yourself. Yeah, I think my wife constantly. says to me sometimes, tone it down, and and I think you know like just tone it down a little bit. That, that 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 energy, that positivity, like sometimes she doesn't want to be happy all the time. Sometimes she wants to tell me and rant about the kids. Sometimes she wants to rant. Oh, how old is How old is, Julie? She's 46. How old is she? She's forty six. Right, so you have think... listened
1: to Lorraine Kelly's podcast, you told yeah. me, didn't you? So, so you know what's coming down the track. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm aware of that, I understand that. And me and my wife talk about yeah. it a lot because I'm really interested in in the female anatomy because I learned so much with the lionesses. Uh, and it embarrasses my daughter sometimes when I start talking about it because ultimately that's that's the mum's thing, so... I understand My it.
1: poor daughter, I was doing Match of the Day, and she, got, she won't mind me saying this now because she's 16, but she got her first period and I was on a train to Manchester, so Kenny was the oh. one that had to deal with everything. And, um, and it was so out of the blue. Honestly, she just, she just didn't seem like, the, at the time, like she was about to have a period. I didn't even have anything in the house for her. It was like, you know, <laughs> kind of... And, um, and so Kenny dealt with it all, so we laugh now whenever she's like, I've got a cramp, and he'll go, have you had a period?
2: No. <laughs> like, How did go, Kenny yeah, deal with so, it at the time?
1: he was brilliant he was amazing yeah he was so good I mean she couldn't wait for me to get home because she wanted to moan at me that this was the next 40 years of her life she was like I've got to go through this for 40 years I know. um but um yeah I think it was a really great father daughter I mean they're very close anyway but it just was such a good you know yeah. a good experience for him to actually you know he's he's but he's very much like you and he's very in tune with kind yeah. of you know women's things but um Yeah, that was not one that I I kind of wanted to be there for that long. When we first
2: had our uh, with the lionesses, we 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 brought a specialist in uh, just after the World Cup to to help regulate to make sure that that you know during different phases uh, of the menstrual cycle, that the players were getting the right nutrition, the right vitamin, uh, whatever. And the first Mm. meeting was more for the taboo. getting rid of the taboo of the menstrual cycle because we obviously had male male staff as well and the first meeting Mm. was to get rid of the the fact that actually this is normal this is this is everyday life
1: so obviously all of that that's that's kind of the midlife kind of the perimenopause all of that stuff is is an open conversation with you and your wife
2: yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah she's gonna she's gonna she's gonna listen to this and go are you kidding no, You've but, not but the funny
2: thing is my daughter still tells us to shut up you know she says dad shut all up right. get out of the room i don't want to <laughs> no, hear about it i, I don't, don't want to hear you to be talking <laughs> about this in front of me you know
1: no, really so she's she's the one that stops it yeah but kids get embarrassed about um about all kinds of things that yeah. have to do with their parents yeah. and and what about kind of all the things that were comfortable for you back here. You know, you were from a, a group of players who were known yeah. as, as the class of 92 and the, you had that kind of, you know, the bond with all those players. Putting yourself away from those kinds of ties must be quite tough and forming new male friendships.
2: It, it, it's so tough because they were, they're, they're the only, I, I don't have many friends. I don't want many friends. Sir Alex Ferguson used to say to us, you only need six friends in your life, the ones that are going to carry your coffin. <laughs> it was a real Scottish you know, the real Scottish thing he used to say, because he, he didn't like entourages around us. So he used to say, look, just get six friends around you. They're the ones that are gonna go to the to, to the grave with you. So I, I've never been one to having lots of friends. I've probably got two or three friends that are real, real friends. And then outside of that, I I just I just cast aside people. I don't I, I don't really take that many people on, but obviously the the, the boys, the Nicky Scollzy, Gary Bex, and 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 Giggsy are my close friends. They're almost like my brothers, and 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 I don't I don't see them at all now. We're on a, obviously WhatsApp groups and stuff like no. that, but they're getting on with their lives. We're obviously involved at Salford City, but uh, apart from that, i have not come to Miami and made friends. it's not the type of person I am. I don't I don't come out here and say I want a load of friends. I've got probably one friend out here that I've met that I played golf with yesterday. I, Is it because? You don't trust people yeah i I don't my granddad hated people he only he only wanted his family around him, and then my mum has a similar thing where we used to go on holiday and it was me, my brother, and my sister, and you know like you you, you your kids go off and and mix with other kids like when I, when I go on holiday, when I used to go on holiday with my two children, we, we used to go to Barbados and the kids used to wander off. I used to drag them back. No, don't, don't be mixing with any of those kids. We've got our own little unit here. I don't want anyone infiltrating us, you know what I mean? And that was, that was my granddad to my mum to us. We just didn't like anyone. My dad hated us bringing friends back to the house a little bit because he just wanted us to be in the house, you know? So we're a little bit unsociable like that. We're a little bit unsociable. Yeah, but
1: you're not. That's the weird thing. You're very you're very sociable in the sense of like when you're in a work environment, you know, you're chatting to people. So you're not an un- you're painting yourself as an unfriendly person, which you yeah, not. Yeah, but I
2: would never I would never I would never say like, if you said, Oh, come out for a meal with me and Kenny, mm, when you're crossing the line there, there Gabby, you know, like, I, I'd have, I, you know, you, you're not going to carry my coffee. Well, Kenny could, because he could carry it in one probably, <laughs> but, but I'm like, it, it, it's probably going to take a lot for me to let you in the inner circle type thing, you know?
1: Yeah, right. OK, that's good to know. So I won't bother. I won't bother with the, with the expensive restaurant reservation. No, then. Uh, we, we were thinking of coming out to Miami, actually, for a little because mm. we were there in the January before lockdown. And uh, Kenny said, oh, should we go back to Miami this winter? And um, I won't call you.
2: Uh, we'll just <laughs> I'll get you a ticket for a game and, and I'll give you the best restaurant. I'll buy my but, own. but you just go and enjoy it on yourself with, you. you know, connect with Kenny again, you know. <laughs>
1: And So how's Julie deal with that because supposedly she's got female friends.
2: It, it, it's a constant it battle. Up. It's a constant battle between and I've had to I've had to adapt and be flexible because she she was brought up in where, where they had an open house and their gates were always right. open and uh, Oh, so two very different experiences. And going and on so now when the kids she's so 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 when Isabella uh, wants to bring a friend back Julie will say oh two or three friends and I'm going just one friend and and like <laughs> and, and, and we negotiate and then but my son is just like me. My son is just like right. me. He hates anyone come to the house. He he's he's so rude at times. When people ask him out place, he go no, and he he's and we're trying to encourage him to get away from my way way of thinking. But he's just been he, he's just took my sort of like gene that way where he only wants to hang around with his sister and his mom and his dad and his his brother his uncle or whatever. He you know for his eighteenth. I said, what do you want for your 18th? He went, a party? No, don't want a party. He said, I'll just go out with Uncle Gary. So my, my brother took him out on his 18th for his first drink. That's, that's all he wanted to do, just go out with his, with his uncle for his first beer or his first wine. Uh, and I said, well, do you want to take your friends? No, no, I'll just go out with Uncle Gary.
1: It's interesting. My husband is the absolute opposite, right, to you. Yeah. Like, he literally well, he invites everybody to everything all the time. And my son has followed his social... Like, he, my son cannot... If there's a party going on within, like, a 30-minute radius, <laughs> you know what I mean, and he's not invited, or if he is invited, he's got to be there. Yeah. So I want my son to have a bit more Harvey. Uh, yeah, just meet him. Well, I just want to be sometimes. halfway,
2: really, between between Kenny and my son, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
1: So he ended up going out for a drink with Gary on his 18th. Yeah. And that was it, And that's
2: it? all Gary. I mean, Gary spoils my children unbelievably. And I said, oh, you know, he said, what shall I get Harvey? So, well, what do you want to get him? He went... I just want to take him out for his first drink. That's that's been my like goal because he's got two daughters, so he hasn't yeah, he hasn't yeah. got a, a son. And uh, they went into and Manchester he, he looks and
1: uh, at him like a kind of surrogate son. Yeah, and,
2: and, my, and my son tells a story. He was he was like lecturing him about drinking, about the dos and the don'ts, and the drinks to take. And he must have lined them all up on the bar, and he he got him to taste all the ones that he used to taste when he had his first drink. You know, it was quite cute. He's he's a big softy, guy, deep down.
1: Bit, is he? Was he a bit tipsy when he. I think we're, we're seeing a lot more of Gary's softer side actually as yeah. he gets
2: older, I think. Well um, I think I think uh, he got his... a text off Julie saying, You dare bring my son, my little boy home drunk. <laughs> you know. I can see you so doing that, Gabby. He to be fair. Up.
1: <laughs> I'll take Harvey out for a proper <laughs> drink. Um so you and do you and Gary chat a lot?
2: I text him, like for instance, every now and again I'll text him, How are you, Gary? And he'll text back. I'm fine, Philip, how are you? And I'll go, I'm fine. And that'll be it. It's as, it's as cold... <laughs> I, know I, I know he loves me and, I, and, I, and he knows I love him, but it, we're just not... You know, the, 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 there, was a, there was a bit on Sky when he interviewed me on Sky and he went, hello, Philip, and I went, hello, Gary. That is exactly how we are. We're not emotional with each other at all. So I'll just text him every now and again, probably once a month, how are you, Gary? And we'll be on group WhatsApps with other, other, other groups, but in, in terms of direct... We we would never Facetime each other. We would never sort of like say, "How's the family? How's this?" Because if I wanted to know about the girls, I'd, I'd ask. I'd ask his wife, or but he's just he's just not that type, you know.
1: But I guess if anything really happened, if the sh- hit the fan, he'd be there for you, oh, and you would be there for him.
2: One hundred percent. I o- I always say mm-hmm. to my my daughter, or or to Harvey, if you're ever out in Manchester and you're in trouble, phone Gary. 'Cause he will be there and he will take a bullet for you, you know. He he's that type. But he probably won't probably won't hug or kiss anyone in in, in you know, in the family, but he he's that type.
1: But obviously they're not going to be out in Manchester because that would mean that Harvey was going out and that that
2: doesn't sound like he's probably going to be out with Gary in Manchester so uh, and and, and Harvey doesn't go out with anyone outside of Gary anyway so (laughs) it's a weird family are not we we've got a weird family
1: (laughs) it sounds like you've got a really lovely family and you love each other lots and and it's lovely that you're all together there in Miami and uh, clearly there's no invite for anybody this is very clear on this podcast if you're listening to this and you're a friend of Philip Neville's, or you think you are you're probably not A and B don't expect invite out to I mean, Miami come to Miami, soon. but
2: you just won't see me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we always say. I mean, when, when, when some of Julie's friends are saying, oh, we will come out to Miami in February, and she sees my face, she went, don't worry. I'll go out with them on my own. I'll, I'll go and see them on my own. I said, where they're staying, and they've got to be in like outside of a 10 mile radius. <laughs> <Do you know? laughs> I'm always joking. I'm always joking.
1: <laughs> oh, it's really good to catch up with you. Oh, it's and it's brilliant. good to hear that things are uh, obviously going very well from a family point of view. And the football obviously is, is taking time, but you're getting kind to get of where better. you want to be. Yeah. So it's a long term project. It's a long term think, project. Isn't we're isn't still it?
2: growing. We're, we're only two years old at this moment in time. So. Uh, we just need to I'm keep sure improving. And I'm sure the fans love you. I love your podcast, by the way.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much, Philip. I'm not sure whether to take that, <laughs> whether you do or not. I you're do. on it anyway. So, and you've joined you've joined an illustrious list and a wide yeah. ranging list of people. And by the way, because you're on it, we have a big party and everybody's got to come. Oh, no, nice. am Joking. Don't worry. No,
2: I won't be there. <laughs> well, remember, you did know. my first ever interview, and this could be my last. So, so anyway,
1: <laughs> I did. I didn't think you were going to bring that up when Gary was 17, 18. How old were you at Manchester United? 18. I was 18. 19. You're about to get. I never You're forget,
2: right, my so first, un... uh, Sir Alex allowed me to do this interview with... And I was 22. 22, on the, on the side of the pitch at Old Trafford.
1: And I was just... I just 22, 23 I was. i just started it. I doing a show called On the Ball. Yeah, you were very nervous. To, I got, you,
2: you were so nervous.
1: I why to and I was nervous. Jesus Christ! I could barely get anything out of you. And you. And afterwards, you told me about twenty years later that because I smiled at you, you thought I fancied you. Obviously,
2: <laughs> I'd not been out of Berry, you know, at that time.
1: <laughs> I, I think I thought you were a very sweet young lad, and uh, still do. Nice. So thank you so much Brilliant. for for coming, Loved up, it, Gabby. and uh, love to the family, Same and to you. I hope that it continues going from strength to strength. And I'll see you in the
2: springtime. See you later. Take care. <laughs> get the spare room ready. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye i <laughs>
1: I hope you enjoyed listening to Philip. Um, he is one of those people, I think, who's predisposed to being cheery. I don't think I've ever seen him in a grump. But actually hearing about how he loves being alone with his family and is not particularly brilliant at socialising, I wonder if subliminally or subconsciously he is really good at managing his energy and understands there's only so much he can keep on giving to other people. And his midlife migration to the USA certainly sounds like it might be for a while yet, doesn't it? I'm going to take on board Noor's tips. In fact, I already have that. I've been pulling my husband Kenny up on negative language and trying to say more positive things even though sometimes it doesn't feel like that's the first thing that you want to come out of your mouth so thank you to Phil and to Noor and of course to Lauren Armstrong-Carter our producer from Rethink Audio and Solgar for sponsoring it remember Midpoint 30 is the code that gets you 30% of all their minerals and vitamins and they have over 300 of them with such an incredible gold standard in everything they do so go to solgar.co.uk and don't forget to use your code and thank you for listening I'll see you next time. Bye bye.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.